Alright, my fellow students, hello and welcome back to Japanese Power Rangers for Dummies podcast with your hosts, Tech Senpai and Howie Kohai. Hello, everybody. Hello. Ooh, do we have a lengthy episode of our podcast today because we are going to talk about not one, but two arcs in Jew Ranger because one of the arcs is a little uh, shorter than the other and we have of course the main arc that we're going to talk about which is the Burai arc but first we're going to talk about the shorter arc which is what I like to call the dinosaur egg arc which is only three episodes so we're going to get into that starting with the episode called Terror eaten in an instant. Now, in this episode, Boy befriends a boy who is an overweight kid that is being bullied. And it turns out that the reason why they were bullying him was, again, because he's overweight. But also that he's overweight because his family has a tradition where they have big gourmet meals because they work in a grocery store, so they like to indulge in eating because it brings their family together. Now, Bandora having an issue with eating because she can't eat because she stuffed herself too much but still is hungry because she was asleep for millions of years with no food, decides to take her anger out on the planet by sending the Dora Cerse. I had to look up the name of this creature because I want to make sure I was pronouncing it, but according to Google, so Google is wrong if I get the pronunciation wrong, <laughs> Google Cerse, uh, which is a pig monster that starts eating all of the food in Japan, which causes a conflict between the family because the pig is so fast and just eats everything so quickly that they think that they're stealing each other's food. So, the Jew Rangers find out that it's the Cerse monster. Now, an interesting fact about this is that the monster is actually named after a goddess of the same name, and according to her mythology, she has a tendency to turn men into pigs. Hence why this monster is a pig. Because like we said before, every Dora monster is based on some kind of mythical creature or is a reference to some form of mythology or theology. So they go after the Sir Dora Cerse, but unfortunately, because Dora Cerse just loves to eat, he eats the legendary weapons, leaving the... Um, Rangers defenseless, but then a mysterious creature shows up and saves them, and it turns out to be a fairy known as Gnome, who challenges the Jew Rangers to a gourmet meal, and if they can eat the meal, he will give them a special herb that will weaken the monster. Now, they do this, and they get all stuffed up, but boy, being the strong teenage boy with an empty stomach, because let's face it, all teenagers, not just boys, but all teenagers have empty stomachs all the time, mm -hmm. eats all the food, and even faces his his fear of eating a carrot, because he doesn't like carrots. I feel they you, get... boy. How he doesn't like carrots, I found out. I don't. I eat them to get my vegetables, but I don't enjoy it. <laughs> Um, he get he puts they lure the Cerse to them. They feed them the Cerse food, and then Boy puts the herb in a sandwich, feeds it. The Cerse throws up all the food, including the weapons. 
Uh, and Bandora is too weak to make the Cerse grow because she is still hungry. They defeat the Cerse, and then the family gets back together. Now, the only reason why they, this episode has some form of significance, you're probably listening, being like, that just sounds like a filler episode. Why are we talking about it? It's because of the character Gnome, which we'll get into once I finish explaining all of the episodes of this arc and then going into the Barai arc. So, the next episode is Run! Prince of the Eggs. Now, for this episode, the whole plot point is that there is a prince called Prince Euro who is going to the main planet of Earth because he lives on a separate island, separate from Earth. And he travels in a Volkswagen Beetle that's souped up for interdimensional travel, apparently, but it, that's kind of cool. And he also has two butlers, one of them that kind of looks like Wario uh, from <laughs> from the Mario franchise. I mean, if you look up the uh, the character, hold on, I'm going to make sure I get the name, the character's name right, because I don't want to get it wrong, because I know the prince is Euro, but again... Even with me, even though I am the ex- more of an expert here, sometimes I can't remember names. It's a lot of information. A uh, Crockle is the name of the butler that looks like a uh, Wario. So if you're listening to this, look up this character and Jew Ranger, and you will see that he looks like Wario. So this, so they end up landing in a random girl's house because the beetle can pretty much dematerialize like it's a freaking TARDIS into any place that it can go to. And then the golems show up at the woman's house because the goal, because Vandora is after the prince, Euro, uh, because Euro knows where these dinosaur eggs, which were kept away from Vandora millions of years ago when she first attacked Earth by elders from each of the five tribes, and later were found by his tribe and they were sworn to protect the eggs by uh, the Guardian Beast, a.k.a. God. So now they're trying to make sure that Bandora doesn't get to them. But unfortunately, Bandora's one step ahead of them and summons Dora Cockatrice to kidnap the girl and the prince so he can tell them where the eggs are hidden so Bandora can destroy them. Now... The cockatrice, the Dora cockatrice, is of course based on the mythical creature, the cockatrice, which is based on a creature that is part rooster, part dragon. Now, it's interesting because the cockatrice is mentioned in not just mythology but in theology. There's actually mentions of the cockatrice of a cockatrice in both the Bible and the Torah, which makes it interesting and. Based on the original translations of some of these um, stories, it is actually believed that a cockatrice was the original creature that tempted Eve to give the apple to Adam because of the way it's translated. Because even though most people associate it with a snake, a lot of interpretations of what this creature looked like leads towards to a cockatrice, which is kind of fascinating. So, but anyway, back to the episode. So, Euro has no choice but because they're threatening to kill the girl to reveal where it is, and it's hidden on the island that they live on. 
and they try to kill the girl, but Daijujin comes up, destroys the cockatrice monster, and now they're on a run to the island where the eggs are, which leads into the next episode, which is called, which I gotta make sure I get the right name, because sometimes I mix the names of the episodes off. Yeah, Monkeys No More, and you'll know why it's called that. So in this uh, episode, they're going into the island, Bondora already finds the eggs, but of course it's protected by a barrier so she can't get to them, so she tries to trick uh, the prince into destroying the barrier by having making a second cockatrice monster, which is literally just called Dora Cockatrice Number Two. <laughs> Without the little hat. Without the little hat, it's like literally just a balding cockatrice with even bigger scissors. Because I forgot to mention this in the last episode, the whole gimmick of the cockatrice monster is that it literally uses scissors to cut through, to cut through dimensions to travel, which is actually a kind of a cool ability. I'm surprised Absolutely. like nobody else tries to do something like that. But anyway, so. The cockatrice disguises itself as the girl and tricks the prince into destroying the barrier by, um, because the barrier is the way the barrier is protected is that it has a bunch of crystals on it. So as the girl, the cockatrice tells the prince that she wanted to take the crystal home with her, uh, and then she and then the, the orb gets destroyed, the barrier is destroyed, and. The cockatrice and they steal the eggs. Um, but another thing that happens, which I almost forgot to mention, is that there's also a whole plot point that the people of this island where Prince Euro lives are all monkey people. Now, the reason why that is is because millions of years ago, now this is where the whole biblical side of the cockatrice comes in, and where I keep talking about how they did their research when they were doing the show. Millions of years ago, their people were originally the guardians of the golden fruits, which is clearly supposed to be an allegory for the forbidden fruit tree in the Bible. Now, what happened is, is that the cockatrice tricks them in eating the fruits by doing that um, Daijujin um, curses them by giving them tails and are forced to live on the island for the rest of their days and they can never leave it which is why they're stuck there now if they were to uh protect the eggs and keep them out of uh, evil hands then maybe they'll turn back into humans now what happens is of course they got tricked the cockatrice steals the eggs they there's a scramble for the eggs <laughs> I just realized what I just did there. A scramble <laughs> for... Was I wasn't even trying to make a joke. I literally just realized, oh, wow, I made a pun without needing, really trying to do a pun. Those are the best puns. And what happens is, is that they lose track of the eggs, and the eggs get drifted into the ocean where they're not seen until later, which we'll get into. And the Jew Rangers plead with the gods to forgive the people for losing the eggs and telling them they were just trying their best. Please forgive them. And they do. And they're turned back into humans. And that is the end of the dinosaur egg arc. Now, before we get into the main, the Bry arc, I just wanted to ask you, 
Um, a couple of questions. Um, as the outsider, what who was your favorite um, monster in this arc? Was it um, the cockatrice monster or was it uh, Cerse? That is a tough one, to be honest. I mean, so I liked the the costume of Cerse. I thought it was so fun. And I just like the practical effects in, in this show in general. But yeah, I'd say the Cerse is probably my favorite. He was also like this special kind of silly. Um, the Cockatrice was, was a little silly in its own way, but I don't know. There's something about the Cerse I was like, you're you're a pretty silly monster and like all you care about is food and i can relate maybe maybe that's why i liked him <laughs> i was like damn all these meals that you're having like they all look so delicious can i have some please yeah no it's true in that episode too it's not just the, the uh, dorsers that's having all these meals it's that family that shows up that just literally having like meals upon meals, which I want them to cook honestly, at my house. if there's one thing that is definitely universal, doesn't matter where you live, a good meal does bring families together. Yeah, it brings all sorts of people together. So that was kind of cool that even in the beginning, like boy was just having dinner with or a meal with that family. And they were, you know, it's it was really sweet because they were like, hey, you helped my son. Um, like, let me repay you. And food is such a wonderful, you know, thing that brings people together. Yeah, no. Okay, so you like the source. I can see that, because I like the source, too. I mean, there, there is something about the cockatrice that's just so, like, f- fascinating that they came up with this idea that the cockatrice literally takes, like, scissors and then, like, literally can cut through dimensions and that's how it like travels between like dimensions that's like kind of cool and it makes me wonder like how come nobody has tried to like i mean maybe i'm wrong i I don't read enough books but maybe it's a book thing where like uh, somebody has the ability to like rip through dimensions just by using scissors i haven't seen that anywhere and i think that's brilliant and i like when cockatrice 2 has those like big shears like he upgrades with you know with the version 2.0 it's like no hat i'm a little bit like beefier um here's my big ass shears like those scissors were were child's play so i will also ask um because now we're getting more into the lore of the show how what are you how are you liking the lore especially everything going on with the the dinosaur eggs and finding out more about the different types of people that lived millions of years ago like how are you liking how the lore is being expanded in the show i'm really enjoying it like i i was pretty excited about the dinosaur eggs and they kept showing like little previews of what it would look like if the eggs got to hatch. And I, I mean, I love those little baby dinosaurs were so cute, but you know, I'm excited to see where it goes with these eggs. Cause I'm like, okay, uh, this was obviously an important part of, you know, the, the over the, the overall story and plot. And, you know, they take a little bit of a break from it. And I'm like, 
tell me what's going on with the eggs. I want to know what's going on with the eggs. So I I do like how they've ramped it up a little bit, added some more sort of like mystery or, you know, setting up for things that are that are going to be important and happen later on in the series. So, yeah, it's definitely it was it was a great hook. Yeah. So that's the thing I really is again, because like I said before in the first episode, Juringer is surprisingly divisive in terms of whether people like it or not, which, again, always fascinated me because the lore of the show is actually pretty good. Like, I can definitely see, like, you know, expanding on the lore in, like, books yeah, and stuff like that if, like, the original writers wanted to do something like that. Because... It's funny because, like, this show, I mean, this show in Japan did well, but, you know, it's not, like, it's not, like, considered one of the best in Japan, but there, man, whoever was writing this show really wanted to create, like, this really extensive lore. Kudos to whoever was the writer. I know. I would love if the writers, like, wrote a book on their process. You know, I mean, it it would be awesome to see like books on the lore, but like the process of how thoughtful they were in like, okay, all of these monsters are from mythology. And like, yeah, the theology that, that you see becomes more apparent. And, you know, I don't know if I would have, I definitely, well, actually, yeah, I know I definitely wouldn't have caught all the theology bits since I never, you know, I didn't grow up in a religious household with the Bible um, being a big part of the family. So a lot of this stuff is really kind of fascinating to me on this theology level. Um, and it really shows how much thought the creators put into this. Um, and, you know, I'm learning even more about Greek mythology, too. And, you know, it's it's kind of like I thought I was getting a, just a Power Rangers education, but no, I'm getting a like a, a bigger education than that through this. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, since we're talking about lore, let's dive right into the Barai arc because this is six episodes that we have to talk about. And unlike what we did last time, like we, we talk about each episode individually since the arc has so much to talk about i'd rather just go through each episode and then let's just have a huge discussion so we're going to start with episode 17 the sixth hero which in this episode bandora is trying to find a new way to go after the jew rangers and make her wish come true, which we'll discover what that is later on, where she uses a spell to pretty much have Satan show her something that will defeat the Jew Rangers. And they get an image of a boy who finds a mysterious green key in his house. And the day is June 19th, which has major significance. The boy goes out with the key, but then all of a sudden... He gets chased by a guy in a forklift, which turns out to be Gnome from the last the episode with the Circe. And it turns out that it's his grandkid, and he's chasing him, making sure that he doesn't use the key for whatever reason. The Jew Rangers get involved, and the kid, you know, since he's also a fairy, starts jumping really high to get away from everybody. 
But then the Drew Rangers catch up to him and they find out that he's trying to release a warrior named Bry, who lived in the forest that him and Gnome lived in, and was somebody that he somewhat became friends with almost over time, and he wants to release him since he can only be released on that day, June 19th, which was the same day that he, um, he was sealed away. So he can only be released on the day that he was sealed away. Because when he found out that the Jew Rangers went to sleep, he also went to sleep. And we'll get into why that is in a minute. So Gnome also teams up with Barza because they're trying to stop this kid from releasing Bri. And it's left to mystery why that is. Because they... They all they know is that Bry was this wonderful person that this kid knew, but now they're hearing that he shouldn't be released and it's confusing them. So what happens is is that they decide to see what's going on and then Bandora instigates the other Jew Rangers to follow them to this cave that the kid is going to to release Bry, which makes them go, huh, this is suspicious. Let's see what's go let's see what is going on here. And then um Barza and Gnome oddly enough gear up with machine guns and grenades to stop the kid from opening the door that sealed away Bry, they do give... It's funny because a lot of people meme this moment because, like, it's kind of hilariously odd that these two grown adults are shooting at a kid with yeah. weapons. They do explain in... It's brief, but they do somewhat explain that magic will not work on the kid, which is why they're doing what they're doing. It's clearly done for more for more uh, comedic slash dramatic effect when they do it. So they go in, they're trying to stop the kid with guns and bombs, and um, the the golems show up and also try to go after the Jew Rangers. But Bandor, what Bandor is really trying to do is hold back Barza and Gnome so they can, so the kid can open the door. And... Gryphazar shows up as a giant, so the so the Jew Rangers go into Daijujin to fight Gryphazar. The kid ends up getting a opening to open the door. The door opens, and out comes Budai. And as soon as he comes out, the villains just disappear. And then when Burai shows up, he claims himself as the Yamato Prince, which is Geki's title, which makes Geki wonder, why is he calling himself the Yamato Prince? And he pushes away the kid, too. He transforms into the Dragon Ranger, jumps into Daijujin, and then just starts beating the ever-living crap out of the Jew Rangers. And that's pretty much how the episode ends. Which gets into the next episode, which is called The Hate-Filled Brother's Sword. Now, the reason why it's called this is revealed in the very beginning. Geki, really confused, asked Barza, why is this guy 
transforming into a ranger and why is he claiming that he is a prince which barza relentlessly tells geki that Bri is his older brother and when they were children geki as a baby was given to the yamato king as an offering from a black knight because they didn't have an heir to the throne. Now, in that time, the Black Knight rebels against the throne and tries to take it over because he believes he's the rightful ruler of the world, pretty much. The king, the Yamato king, kills the Black Knight, and as, he, as he's dying, a young eight-year-old Bri leans over his father, and his father tells him, you must take vengeance. You are the rightful king. And dies. And within that time, Bri left the Yamato tribe and went into Gnome's forest to train to take revenge on the king. However, when Bandora appeared, Bandora killed the king. So because of that, he put all the blame on his brother because he was the rightful heir to the throne and he was live he was living a privileged life while he was stuck in the in the fairy forest now geki does not take this very well because all of a sudden he's finding out that he had a brother that he didn't know about and his brother is also trying to kill him now at the same time bandora takes an opportunity to confront bry and convince him to join them to take out the Jew Rangers. But interestingly enough, Bry says, in a lack of a better term, go fuck yourself. I'm doing this my way. It's the first time I use the F word on this podcast, but it's the only way I can put it. <laughs> I've been dropping him. <laughs> it's the only way I can put it, because that's literally what he pretty much does. But then... Bandora convinces Bri that he could help him by giving him a weapon that could defeat the Jew Rangers. And that weapon is the Hellfreed. But of course, he can't just grab it. He has to steal it from a dead knight that is trying to protect it. But he eventually takes the sword and uses its evil power to take revenge on Geki. Now, he, after he gets the sword, he confronts Geki, but Geki doesn't want to hurt Bri, because he's still trying to convince him that they need to talk and they need to figure stuff out. But of course, that leads to Geki getting hurt. The other Jew Rangers go to save him, but to no avail. And while Geki is still being hurt, Daijujin appears, protects Geki from Bri, tells Bri he needs to fight his brother because if he doesn't, then he's going to destroy everybody. But Bri doesn't want to risk him killing his own brother. So Bri, of course, being a bold dude, attacks Daijujin. But Daijujin goes, no, 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 no. I am God. Sit your ass down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Bri, and Bri disappears now, all this is part of Bandora's plan to get rid of Daijujin, and we will get into that a little bit later, but Bri is the first step in her plan 
to get rid of Daijujin. And that leads into the third episode of the arc, Female Warrior Scorpion. Now, in this episode, there is, oddly enough, a... A living boulder with scorpions on it tracking down the Jew Rangers. Now, Geki ends up finding a older and younger brother duo while he's walking out. The older brother is protecting the younger brother from bullies, and he sees their relationship and wishes that he could have the same relationship with his own brother. And then he overhears that they found eggs in a chest, and they realize... It's the dinosaur eggs. So they talk to them and tell them where the eggs are, but of course that boulder is sneaking in on them. And once they find the eggs, the boulder starts attacking them. But then, all of a sudden, it transforms into a very beautiful scorpion lady named Lammy. And not only is she a wonderful-looking woman, but she is a married woman. Who is she married to, you may ask? Griffizar. That's right. Griffizar and Lammy are a married couple. With matching armor, which is so cute. With matching armor. Yes, they have armor that's very similar to each other. So, within that time, Griffizar helps her out. They take out the Jew Rangers and they steal the eggs from the brothers, taking the older brother. The little brother gets hurt in the process and ends up in the hospital. So Bandora decides she's going to take this opportunity to persuade the Jew Rangers to pretty much do an exchange of the dinosaur eggs for the older brother. And of course, we get a little bit of a dynamic with... Um, Lammy and Griffizar, where they're being all cutesy. <laughs> and um, Bry, while helping them out, you can clearly tell in every episode, he's kind of just like, man, just wait, just wait. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my opportunity to take over this world once this shit is all over with. So, later in the episode, they try to do the exchange... But the Jew Rangers, of course, interestingly, are the sneaky ones and actually try to seal the eggs back. But unfortunately, it's to no avail because Bry shows up. And also, for more context, the little brother is in the hospital and Geki decides that he's going to help him out by giving him his medallion from his dino buckler, which will help him heal because it has, heal it has healing powers. But because he did that, he can't transform, because without the metal, he can't transform. Now, in the battle, he confronts Bri, and again, doesn't want to hurt Bri, but this leads to them losing the eggs, and now, Bri, now, Bandora has Bri, Lammy, and now the dinosaur eggs. Three things that she said she needed to defeat Daijujin, which is now going into the next episode, episode 20, Daijujin's Last Day. Now, in this episode, she claims that Daijujin will fall on a few days. Now, the Jew Rangers are trying to figure out what she means by that, because they know she's planning something. 
So they're trying to do some research, but while they are, Griffizar attacks the city. But before we get into that, we also need to talk about that Bandora gives Griffizar the gift to be able to talk as a reward for a successful mission. So this is the first time we actually get to hear Griffizar speaking. However, Lammy gets upset with him because the first thing that comes out of his mouth uh -uh. when he can talk is women do not belong in the battlefield. They don't fight. They need to stay at home and do laundry and do dishes and all that, you know, old school, not very nice thing to say yeah if you're in a if you're in a a hetero or hetero passing relationship you don't say that to your wife you never say that nah. to that's like rule number one i don't know why first of all i don't i, I don't care who you are if, if you're giving the if you couldn't talk and the first thing that comes out of your mouth is saying women don't deserve to fight you better you better hope that woman stays with you because she's good gunning to leave your ass mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a good way to get a divorce started yeah but anyway at, at, pretty much at when he says that Bandora puts Griffizar in his place because she's like I am a woman what the hell are you trying to say right? and I'm your boss uh uh I'd be more scared of her yeah I'm, I'm not messing with the woman that's literally working with Satan yeah yeah exactly but anyway um Griffizar attacks the city the Jew Rangers go in they don't summon their guardian beasts because they're worried about what bandora has planned for daijujin so lammy then shows up as well and they keep trying to egg them on to summon the guardian beast but to no avail so bandora decides to have griffizar take a bus full of kindergarten children Ugh. to a quarry and what she does is that she threatens to knock the bus over the cliff that will also land on the dinosaur eggs if they don't. And she warns them that if she doesn't summon them, she's going to kill the kids and the dinosaur eggs if they don't give in to her commands. But right before the, the Jew Rangers decide that it's too much and they need to do it, Barza finds out why she's so determined it's because on the day that this is all happening is a total eclipse and daijujin is powered by both solar and nature energy so because of the solar eclipse daijujin is going to be much weaker than normal and also kudos to whoever was writing the show actually being scientifically accurate and saying that the solar eclipse takes eight minutes which is accurate yeah i was very happy and you know what if i'm that that was that was a confirmation by me um so like i'm now worried that i said something wrong uh just because now that we're recording the audio i'm like oh my god did i totally do that wrong um eclipse so i am 
looking at eclipse. I believe it's like it's only it's a short time. They don't last very long. Yep, it's because the moon's shadow moves at seventeen hundred kilometers per hour. Okay, there's my little science fact. Because of the stakes, even knowing this information, they decide to summon the guardian bees and put Daijujin together, saving the kids from falling down the cliff. But now, as they were trying to escape, Gryphazar is attacking them, which also gives them an opportunity for Lammy to turn into a giant, which transforms her into a scorpion monster, and start helping his hus- her husband to stop Daijujin from escaping. But Barza does end up getting the eggs at the end of the day, which is good. However, it's proving too much. And the solar eclipse comes in, and Daijujin is pretty much out of energy. But he gets a little gets a little more energy when he gets the uh, the god horn, which is the sword, and takes him out, and then tries to escape. But of course, she used uh, Bandora uses her trump card and summons Bri and turns him into a giant. And of course, Geki doesn't want to fight him, but even even Goshi's like, dude, what are you doing? If we don't do something, we're going to be destroyed. So he ends up that Daijujin does get destroyed and gets f- falls into a lava pit. And Daijujin seems to be no more, leaving Bandora room to take over the Earth, which leads into the next episode, which is the Great Guardian Beast Riot. Now, in this episode, Geki blames himself for what happened because he hesitated to fight his own brother. So he goes off on his own. Now, in this time... Bandora and everybody else and everybody else in her group starts celebrating with some drinks and food. But of course, Bry, being impatient, decides this is his time to strike and decides to try to go after Bandora. But of course, Bandora, being a rep- a witch of Satan, goes ah ah ah. You can't do that, and knocks him off the knocks him off the palace back to Earth, and now he's left without Bandora's help. But a mysterious ghostly figure appears and takes Bri into a room, stating that he only has about thirty hours to live. But if he stays in this room, it expands his life. But every single time he goes into the real world, he loses more time on his life. Now, we will definitely get into that once we get into the reasoning behind that, because unfortunately they don't tell us yet. Now, the ghost also gives Bri the Jusoken, which is a dagger-like weapon, which also can be used as a flute to play music. Why, do you ask? Well, once he plays a magical tune, it summons a guardian beast known as Dragon Caesar, which is a dragon mech, and he uses that mech to wreak havoc on the planet. Now, once he does that, the Jew Rangers do come back together. Geki, who is still on his own, 
is saving a couple of people because they they show some damage. Like kids are getting hurt, adults are getting hurt. Like they, they don't mess around on how bad like people get hurt in this show. Yeah. After after this happens, Geki decides that he can no longer hesitate, and he should no longer allow his feelings for his brother get in the way of doing the right thing, and decides to confront his brother. But at the same time, Bandora sees that he has Dragon Caesar, and is like, Wait, what, wait, what, what, why does, why does he have that, what, the- Griffiths are landing. Get him! Mm-hmm. So there's a whole conflict between both Bandora and the Drew Rangers against Bry, and now we're leading into the final episode of the arc, which is called Combined Gorujin. Now in this episode, uh, we're back to the conflict between Bandora and the Drew Rangers. Barza is trying to plead with the Guardian Beasts to come back and help the Drew Rangers in this time of crisis because, unfortunately, Dragon Caesar is left to pretty much just trash the entire planet at this point because they don't have Daijujin. But after Barza keeps pleading and pleading, the Guardian Beasts rise back up from the magma and are resurrected. Now, you're probably wondering, well, why did they resurrect? Because... Like I said earlier, it's powered by solar energy and nature energy. What did Daijujin fall in? Magma. That is nature. So because of that, it healed Daijujin after a couple of days and it came back to life. Also, I should make a mental note, the energy that they consider that they call the energy that's from solar energy and nature energy is called Gaiatron is what they call it in Jew Ranger. So it does have a name. Um So anyway, once the, once the Guardian Beasts are summoned back, Bandora decides to retreat because she's just like, oh crap, now all six of the Guardian Beasts are here. We need to retreat. <laughs> and but of course, uh Bry, being the wise butt that he is, decides that he's gonna just go after the Guardian Beast with Dragon Caesar. And why not? I mean, Dragon Caesar was whipping Lammy and Griffizar's ass like it was no tomorrow. So, of course, he has the confidence to do that. But, of course, Tyrannosaurus decides, I'm just going to go in. We're not going to summon Daijujin. I'm just going to come in and kick this guy's ass myself. But then, Geki also decides to finally confront his brother in a final epic battle, which sees them both fighting in in civilian outfits and in ranger outfits and i'm not gonna lie is actually one of my favorite fights in the entire show the fight between geki and Bri. because that fight is just whoever were the the stunt people on that episode did a hell of a job on that fight that fight is so freaking good i love it and at the end, of course, Geki triumphs, defeating his brother, and um, the Tyrannosaurus also defeats Dragon Caesar, and then Daijujin is summoned, summoned to pretty much beat the ever-living shit out of Di- Caesar a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> then um, Daijujin tells Geki to finish off his brother. Uh, Geki, on. Un- 
also doesn't do it because he says even though he's done some bad things, he's still my brother. Bry tries to attack him from behind, but then Geki tells him, if you truly hate me that much, then just kill me if it's going to quell your anger. Which kind of flutters Bry's heart. Bry then asks for forgiveness, tells him, I was a fool, I blamed you for everything, and I shouldn't have done that. And because he forgives his brother, the Hellfreed sword gets destroyed because all of the hatred in his heart is gone. And now the brothers are reunited as good, healthy, brotherly love. And now there's six Jew Rangers, and plus they get a new mech combination between Dragon Caesar, Jew Mammoth, Triceratops, and Sab uh, Saber Tiger, which forms Goryujin, which is pretty much Dragon Caesar's warrior mode. And because of that, they're now together, but Barai wasted a lot of time on Earth, so now he only has about 24 hours until he dies, which ends the series, which ends the Bri arc. Now, I hope you guys are still there after hearing all that because I know that was that was a f that was so much shit. <laughs> there was a lot to talk about. This is a very story heavy arc. Like, very story-heavy. A lot of twists and turns, a lot of, like, drama and crazy writing. Um, so, before we get into nitty-gritty stuff, um, let's talk about Bry. What did you think of Bry? Mm. So, the overall, like, you know, from beginning to end arc of Bry... His overall arc, uh, yeah, from when he's first introduced to the very end, I mean, I like it. It was something that I, you know, it was like, oh, my heart feels good at the end. You know, I when you you find out that uh, Bri and Geki are brothers, um, you know, it, it just it, I actually, you know, I really felt for the characters and I was like, oh, I really want this to work out. Like, Geki's a good dude seems like Barai's just pissed off like maybe he can you know come to the the side of love instead of the side of Satan um and so yeah I was and I also liked how Barai was you know not really into being with Pandora and like her crew he was just like okay like this is this, I'm just doing what I gotta do um but he wasn't in you know he didn't feel like he fit with that crew and I liked that because it didn't feel like he was doing some sort of 180 from being super duper evil to like now super good it felt more like like he had some shit to deal with internally and that affected all of his decisions and once he dealt with that shit he was able to be like a normal you know a normal hearted person and so I like how they didn't you know take his like oh i need to get revenge so far that he 
you know, doesn't that it wouldn't make sense for him to 180 back to I want to be with my brother type of thing. So I, I liked, you know, I liked his character. I liked how they presented him and I liked how he kind of was kept his his steady character up until the end. Um, and then I love seeing them hug it out and it was so cute. Yeah. See what? I, okay, okay. So my personal opinion on Bry is Bry is probably in terms of the hero characters, probably my my favorite tied with Geki because for one, what I like about Bry as a character, especially like in the beginning, is that like you said, like he has a whole arc where. It's not like he's not just like another like minion of Bandora. He has his own goals. He has his own mission and he's fueled by hatred and you want him, you want him to turn to good. But the interesting thing is is that one thing that I feel like not a lot of people give credit for is that in the very first episode in the sixth hero, they establish that he does have a decent heart. Uh, underneath all that vengeance because when gnome's grandson was in, in the forest with him like before they went to sleep there's a whole sequence that they show where like he's like laughing with him and then like the kid almost gets hit by like a boulder but then he comes out and destroys the boulder and protects him so it shows from the beginning that he does have a good heart and that he's just fueled by his vengeance towards Geki because he felt like he needed to blame somebody for his father's death. And there's an actual like character dynamic with Bri. It's not one note. There's actual like little complexities to how he is as a character. And it's not just, oh, he's just Bando- another minion for Bandura. You know, and I really like that. And it's that's why it's always funny because there's a huge. Because once we get into the American adaptation, there's still. I don't know why there's such a debate between which is better, the American or the Japanese, when. The. When. Well, you'll see when we get into it, but like. I feel like there's no contest between which one is better, but it's stuff like that that really makes Bry such a fun character because he has a lot of growth if there's growth to him it's not just and you there's good reason why he makes the 180 because he realizes at the end that he was blinded by vengeance and he forgot the fact that geki is his younger brother and somebody that he should care and love for yeah absolutely and you know what you were saying about that Um, the episode in the first, or sorry, the scene in the first episode that you're talking about with, you know, um, the kid and Burai, I, you know, that, I, I also feel like that was really informative of giving us a little bit of background because you're right. I mean, he, he is naturally, you know, a good dude, essentially, but yeah, when you, when you, put all of these stresses on yourself to, you know, make things right via hate. It's like, you know, you're not going to act like your natural self. And that was exactly what happened with Barai. And then at the end, he's like, oh, shit, this isn't who I am. This is just hatred and anger not being dealt with. And yeah, then he kind of he comes back to himself 
and is therefore able to reconnect with his brother. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I, I love this arc so much because, like, it really is – literally the whole arc is literally about, like, forgiveness and, like, understanding that, like, you have to – handle these type of problems the right way you can't run from it you're not always going to reason with it but you have to face it no matter what as much as you don't want to have the possibility of losing someone that you love right and i think this is why i think i think a lot of people underestimate jew ranger in terms of the fact that this is the kind of stories that they're telling it's very fun stories and like very kind of not extremely complex, but complex enough where it actually makes you go, hmm, this was actually pretty good. Um, so, uh, so let's also talk about uh, Lammy, uh, Griffizar's uh, wife, because she shows up here. Uh, first impression, since we've only saw a few episodes of her, what is your first impression of Lammy as a character? I think she's very entertaining. I mean, obviously she's like gorgeous, but the personality that they gave her, you know, especially as like a female character is, is a lot of fun. She's, you know, she's confident in herself. Um, she's a fucking badass. I mean, she is also working for, you know, a minion of Satan essentially. But uh, minus that, I also love how she's just fucking married to Griffithor. Like, so, it felt so random. Um, but I feel like, yeah, it was a fun kind of, like, little addition to Bandora's crew. Um, and Lammy looks scary as fuck when she goes into scorpion mode. Um, it's very intimidating. I mean, she's intimidating... When she's human looking, but extra intimidating, you know, when she's like this scorpion person. Um, but, you know, I am, and especially after they gave, after Bandora gave Griffithara voice, I can, you know, I've already enjoyed the little like couple back and forth, you know, like uh, just silly quips types of things. And so I'm excited to see more of that. I really want to see her just, you know, like, grind into her husband for saying stupid shit uh i feel like she's that type of character who could like yeah who who would do that and the type of actor who could make that really fun so yeah i'm a big fan of lammy yeah okay so lammy i always thought was because okay i'm gonna be for real so i when i grew up on mighty morphin so uh this is a somewhat spoiler for when we talk about um the American adaptation. I, I'm saying it for the sake of context, for the sake of context, because it, it was a shocker to me when I first watched it, because in Mighty Morphin, they're not a couple. I always thought it was uh, weird when I watched like Mighty Morphin when I was older that they were always together. I was like, and but they never really developed on why they were always together. But then I watched Jew Ranger and I was like, they're married? And then I thought about it, I was like, it makes too much sense now. They're always together in Mighty Morphin. Their armor looks very similar to each other. Why did they just make them a married couple in the American version? You know, I have a theory on that. I don't know if you have any theories on that, but I have a tiny theory. I think that, you know, given the time 
so this this came out in the eighties. Is that correct? Or was it no ninety two? It came out in ninety two. Ninety two was when Jew Ranger came out. Ninety three was when Mighty Morphin came out. So. Yeah, I feel like 93, you know, you still like you you still can't show, you know, death on screen in children's media specifically. Yeah, in children's media. Anything that you would essentially consider a sin, right? In the in the view of Christianity since the states is so, you know, f- there's so much foundation of the states related to Christianity. So I was like, is it like not okay? Like, because she looks like a woman and he looks like a beast. Is there some like, like, ooh, bestiality. That's what that means. And we can't let the children know that that, you know, like we can't educate about sins. So that's my little theory is, you know, the sensitivity to like anything that could be considered a sin is, you know, they're like, let's just not, let's just not. And that's a fair point because, like, any reference to Rita, who is the American Bandura, having any relation to Satanism is completely taken out of Mighty Morphin. So there could be a possibility. I just think it's weird because, like, I mean, you didn't have to, I mean, you, you could just not show the cutesy moments with the but you could at least establish that they were together in some fashion so some of the fight footage would make sense but uh we'll get more into that when we actually watch the american version because i want to go back to here but i just wanted to go off on that little tangent because i'm just like that's so it was so weird to me because it was so weird to me you know when i started watching super sentai when i was in my teens uh finding that out and being like what the fuck <laughs> like going like like I said, you know for a dead fact that I have been, I have been watching Super Sentai for a very long time. I was watching Super Sentai when I was in high school with you, like like the old old days, like before we had the DVDs or we had to use um, means to watch it. <laughs> so like you know that I was always a fan of this because I've been a I've been a fan for almost 20 years at this point of Super Sentai. So it's so weird, you know, as a teenager finding out that freaking uh, Griffithar and Lammy are a f- couple, and not only a couple, they're a married couple. And then fi- and then realize that then watching the footage back of Mighty Morphin and being like, it makes too much damn sense. Why didn't they just make him a couple in this? But let's also get into... Because um, uh, I was talking about uh, lore in, when we were talking about the, um, the dinosaur egg arc. Um, this, this was a very lore-heavy arc, the Bri arc. Um... How? What did you think of how they are really expanding the lore of this story? And do you feel like it's easy to follow, or do you think it takes some time? I'm mainly asking this question because I do feel like there's some people who watch this and they have a hard time keeping up with the with the story. Well, I, you know, it's me watching this is definitely a different experience than I mean, me watching this with you is definitely a different experience than if I were to watch this myself. You know, you've been really good about, like, pointing things out, being like, hey, remember this thing. And so, you know, for those little things, I'm not sure if I would have picked up on every single thing. But I feel like kind of the overall story of, like, what, you know, the the eggs are important and, you know, who's this, who's this new ranger coming in? Who's, uh, you know, who's this, who's this new... Uh, Bandora crew person coming in 
like I feel like the kind of the bigger points of the story um, were pretty easy to follow. And I was I was really enjoying seeing all the elements put together. Um, and, you know, a little surprise of like Gryphosaur having a wife it was like, oh, OK, OK. Um, but yeah, no, I was I was very satisfied with seeing how the lore has expanded and seeing how much room is left for the lore to expand. You know, I feel like this is just the beginning. Um, you know, now you finally got a, a quote unquote bad guy on the good side. And I feel like this is where things just start to kind of ramp up. I mean, you got those dino eggs that are just like. You know, it, it's like it's it's really cool to see it all come together. So, yeah, I think doing, you know, the three episode mini arc and then this bigger arc, seeing it all together, it was I was able to to follow it. But, you know, if there were a bunch of filler episodes in between and I was seeing this, you know, as it aired on TV or something, I could see myself being like, oh, wait, what what was that about again? Or what is this about again? Um, but in binge format. It was it was much easier, I think, than it would have been. Yeah, that's why I I do uh, I did it the way I did it with you because there we are skipping some filler episodes for context for people who are watching, but it's only because um, I for this show in particular, a lot of the meat and bones of the story is in certain episodes, and the filler episodes are just filler. And I wanted to focus mainly on the episodes that are the meat and bones of the series first so we can get an idea of the whole story. And, you know, later we will talk about the filler episodes, but we're going to talk about that on our Patreon. So, Kilo... Follow us on Patreon, which we should be opening soon, hopefully by the airing of this this episode. So keep an eye on that, and we will definitely get into that once the time comes. But when we get to the meat and bones of the show, it does make it easier to follow. Because I do feel like if you were watching it at the time, it'd be confusing. But being able to watch it now where you can binge it, it's a lot easier to follow. Um, and this is, I'm mainly asking these questions because I really like the lore of this series. I really like the lore of this series because it's, it's done in a way where it's, okay, I am a huge belief, I, I am a lore whore, as I like to put it. I fucking love that. I am a lore whore, meaning I love franchises that have really cool and expanded lore. So stuff like Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, uh, Harry Potter, even though I know like Harry Potter is a little controversial nowadays, but the point is, is that any story like this franchise that has a lore that's very expansive, um, I love because it really makes you feel like this world is a functioning world instead of just one story that you're following. So, um, I really like, that's why I really like Jew Ranger. Cause it does have a lore that feels like it can be expanded on if they wanted to, but you know, it's a one-off show. So they don't. So that's why I was asking because 
Uh, mainly because I feel like a lot of people who kind of deny the show or don't give it a chance don't actually sit down and actually, like, pay attention to its lore because it's actually very lore-heavy and very fun. It's a fun lore. Uh, but let's... Um, another thing I wanted to talk about um, was also uh, the new Guardian Beast Dragon Caesar... Um, uh, what did you think of Dragon Caesar? Dude, he was cool as shit. His tail. I fucking love the little drill at the end of the tail. Oh, he looked so cool. And his, like, chest plate had those light-up things. I mean, I think he's... Uh, I think he might be the coolest. Of the Guardian, of the Guardian Beast so far? Yeah, because, I mean, I really like Tyrannosaur, too, but... I feel like they really upped it for Dragon. I mean, he's he's pretty badass. I think I just cussed a lot saying talking about him because I was so excited about him. Yeah, I mean, I I love Dragon Caesar. I love his look. There's a reason why that char- that mech is so popular in the American version because so many people love the love that design it's just a cool design um i also just love the uh, fact that you have to summon this guardian beast using a flute tune oh my god i loved that and also i'm gonna be i don't know if this is nitpicky i had an observation so the flute that Barai uses. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting design. Um, so I have experience playing the baritone horn and uh, the the buttons that you use to make the notes on the baritone horn look like a bigger version of the trumpet. And the flute had like three little buttons that looked like trumpet buttons. I thought that was really interesting i don't know why i was just not you know flute you don't expect these like you know valve buttons like you see on a little trumpet but you know it was a woodwind instrument so it is a flute so i thought that was an interesting you know little mashup of of uh instruments to create this flute yeah no i love the design of juice ken as like a weapon because of like the whole f- uh, like flute design and the fact that you not only use it to fight but you also use it to summon like a giant dragon mech is just so dope. He's essentially a bard. Yeah, pretty much a a, a bard that could kick your ass. Hell yeah, D and D. But again, I, that's why I always say there is a reason why this work this was so popular with Mighty Morphin because it's just. Two really cool designs. The the the, uh, the Juso Ken and Dragon Caesar was so popular when it came out at the time of Mighty Morphin. I remember so many kids wanted that that sword that uh, that dagger. It's not really a sword. It's more of a dagger. This dagger as a toy. I wanted that fucking dagger as a kid. I would have too. And um, unfortunately, I did. I did recently own an American version of the toy that was made much later for like I think the twentieth anniversary of Power Rangers. That's more of a like prop sized version, but I had to sell it unfortunately because you know, I sometimes you just need money, and I had to, I sold it for a fair amount of money. I still ha- I I still have the American version of his Dino Buckler though. Heck yeah. 
don't get rid of that one. Sell your other things first. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay, so actually, speaking of which, I will ask, because we're talking about the design, what do you, because compared to the other Drew Ranger suits, how do you like the Dragon Ranger outfit? Like, the, his, not his civilian outfit, but the actual, like, ranger suit. Yeah, so I was curious as to why his suit was different. And my, my you know, I after seeing um, Dragon Caesar, it was, I was wondering, like, okay, this is, like, the, you know, the biggest guardian. Like, physically the biggest guardian. And is, for some reason, Barai has this, like, extra fancy, you know, little shoulder pad thing and... You know, he looks fly, but uh, I was just wondering, you know, like, are are those two things related? And, like, I definitely have the question in my head of, like, why is it different? Like, what is what is different about him and his guardian to everybody else? And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's something we find out or not, but it's a question that I have in my mind after seeing his uh yeah his suit yeah no that that i always again this is what i I, i'm repeating myself but i I have to say it there's a reason why bry in the states was so popular at the time and is still popular today in america because of his design his design is so because he looks like a like a regular jew ranger but again he has this Met, like this chest plate on him that that's like a shield that protects him and it's like and it has like pointed shoulder pads which interesting enough they kind of also put in his um uh civilian design because his civilian outfit also has pointed shoulder stuff to kind of to kind of like re- represent that and just like his design is just so like he cut he like if he took the shield off he would look like a typical Jew ranger uh, but like with the act that extra flair, he does look very polarizingly different from. It's so funny how a sh- freaking chest shield makes him so polarizingly different, but somehow it just makes all the difference in terms of how much cooler that makes him look. Absolutely, and it's kind of a gold. It's not gold, but it's a gold-ish color, so it adds to that that as you were saying, flair. Yeah. Also, one thing I did want to talk about. I want to hear your opinion on this because it is semi-explained in the lore in some way. At this, I always viewed the Hell Freed, which is a sword that uh, Bandora gave uh, Bry. As a which was an evil sword, I always viewed Hellfried as a representation of Bry's vengeful hatred, and when he finally let it go, it disappears. Although, according to uh, some lore that apparently some people found in like book and like um like magazines and stuff, apparently the sword also had the potential to drive. Bry more into vengeful thoughts and feelings, which I can see in terms of how the story planned out. Well, how the story planned out. Um, how? What do you? I'm just gonna ask. What do you think Hellfried represents? Well, I definitely think that it represents, you know, a for. I think it represents pure hatred. Like it seems to be, you know, like powered by. <clears throat> Powered by vengeance, um, powered by hatred. The reason that Pandora was able to hold it is because she's just this lady full of hate. 
Um, you know, and that's kind of what I assumed. Like, if you have so much hate in your heart, you can wield this thing. And it's just the physical representation of the hate in your heart. And if you don't have that hate, well, the sword's, you know, the sword doesn't have power anymore. So it's just going to disintegrate or disappear. But I could definitely see how, like, Especially because um, Burai was, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, he's not a bad dude deep down in his heart. But, you know, he got this hatred and then he was able to continue with it for, you know, like for all these episodes. Like it was just it was a steady hatred. There wasn't any moments until, you know, right up in the end where he showed any softness. You know, after having the sword. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the sword did, you know, amplify these vengeful thoughts and hatred within him. Um, but that's also a big testament to him as, you know, to his character that at the end, the sword didn't win. The sword couldn't survive because he chose, you know, to soften up and let go of his hate. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because um, I always thought him getting the sword was so interesting, because I always, like I said, I always viewed that the sword was a representation of his vengeance, because, like, because as soon as he, he stopped getting, wanting revenge, the sword disappeared, and the sword kind of fuels his vengeful, like, attitude as he's using it. So I always said that that was the reputation because according to some magazine stuff, it is fueling his revenge. But I always I always viewed it that way, even without like looking into it. And it's so funny to me that people don't realize that it's 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 content, it's nonverbal context without needing it. Like this is how like good stories in like movie and like film media are done and this this is actually doing something pretty darn good and it frustrates me when nobody gives it a chance because nobody looks at the context of what's happening and when you do it makes the story more interesting um i have a little bit of a tangent question for you um about the community um do you think that because this show, I don't, is there a dubbed version of Zhu Ranger? That's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay, so it's just like, it's not, it, so there's no dub. It's a literal, like, like, remake of the show for a different audience. So I was wondering if maybe, like, people also are hesitant to give Zhu Ranger a chance and, and, and dive into it because they are reading subtitles and are distracted by subtitles, which is just not, you know, it's, it's especially in the nineties was not something that Americans would do for international entertainment. So I'm curious if a lot of people just avoided digging into it because um, they were just not used to having everything, you know, fed to them in their native language. I think that's part of it. However, another part of it is to do with the tokusatsu fandom in general, because um, a lot of tokusatsu, especially uh, around the time that Ranger was being made, was a lot more 
dark in terms of tone. And also, because remember, Drew Ranger was trying to gear more towards a um, a younger audience at the time, because you know, in the eighty, in the late eighties, there was a lot of um, strews of tokusatsu's that had a much darker tone, which were doing well in terms of, of people liking the shows, but not doing well in terms of children liking the shows, therefore affecting toy sales. Mm. So I think that's I think that's why there's a lot of criticism towards shows like Jew Ranger, because a lot of uh, Western fans tend to criticize tokusatsu's that didn't do well in Japan, and I feel like that's not a good criticism to have. I feel like your criticism should be based on what you think of the show, not what Japan thinks of the show. Yeah, and also Jew Ranger. Is a, is a fantasy story, and I feel like a lot of people are very, especially in the West, are very, when they think of a fantasy story, they want a fantasy story that's easy to follow in some aspects, but still having, like, interesting backstory. And Jew Ranger has a lot of lore in it that I feel like to somebody who is not a lore whore like myself, really can't follow right away and also a lot of the silly tones of the show i think kind of ruins it for some people especially like scenes where like gnome and barza are literally throwing grenades and using a machine gun to stop uh gnome's grandson from unlocking barai stuff like that and like maybe some of like the special effects don't look convincing enough to them that it kind of like drops their um suspension of disbelief yeah but the thing about me personally the reason why i that that kind of stuff doesn't bother me as much is because i have learned to face the facts that this at the end of the day, these show a good chunk of these tokusatsu's are made for a younger audience, so there is going to be silly stuff in it. That doesn't mean I can't excuse stuff that's dumb or stupid. <laughs> but when something is silly, something's just going to be silly because they're trying to gear towards children. So I can, I can, I, I don't have to like it, but I have to learn that. This wasn't made, the audience that it was made for wasn't for someone like me who's in their, like, going into their mid-30s. Yeah, it's not, it's not made for people with fully developed brains who are, like, in the serious world, you know? Yeah, but, like, at the same time, I give Jew Ranger credit because it has lore that children won't be able to follow right away. And when you follow it, it actually becomes more interesting. And but because of all those factors, like the cheaper looking effect, like the cheaper looking effects, um, the cordiness that happens in between it, it kind of ruins Western audiences' suspension of disbelief. But I'm gonna say right now, the one thing that definitely keeps the suspension of disbelief still strong with me when it comes to Jew Ranger is the acting from the character from the actors who are playing the characters especially um especially especially in this series with geki um who's played by uh 
who's played by Yuda, he his acting during this entire arc is so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed his acting. And so like convincing. Like especially him and also also the actor who plays Bry. Uh, he was really good in this. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. I gotta look it up. But a fun fact about the actor who plays Bry is that this wasn't his first tokusatsu. He did another tokusatsu called uh, Dengeki Sentai Change Man, where um, he was um, one of the rangers, one of the main rangers on the show. So this isn't his first rodeo with uh super sentai yeah no the actor who played um uh burai was shiro izumi um and he was really good as Bry, and like i mean all the actors were really good but those two in particular were really good at portraying this they really convinced it did convince me for the most part that they are related like they convinced me that they're related, even though they're in real life they're not related whatsoever. But but stuff like that that really keeps my suspension of disbelief going because I believe that these characters are going through all this. Yeah, I feel like the actors, most most of them, they're. I mean, I don't know how I feel about May. She seems a little bland. Um, I don't think they gave her much of a personality, so I can't. You know, I don't feel like I can fairly say if if the actor playing May is like really good or not, because I don't think they gave her much to work with, but I do think that, yeah, a lot of the other actors, uh, Geki, Boy, Dan, um, Barza, you know, I, I think all of them are really good acting and, you know, I'm, I'm not huge when it comes to suspension of disbelief for myself because I, don't mind if there's a silly moment that makes me laugh and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a TV show. Um, I actually, I think, appreciate those a lot, but you know, you're right. The acting, I felt like, yeah, these characters, they have their motivations, they have their goals, they have their convictions, and I can get into that without thinking, oh yeah, that's an actor right there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's also a fair assessment of um of May. Uh, okay, you're going to find out that May there there has been a problem in Super Sentai with you know giving female character the female like hero characters more character development. Um it doesn't happen all the time. There are some Sentais before Jew Ranger that does give the girl characters better character development, but they're few and far between. It wasn't until the later Sentais where the female characters, especially um um two Sentais later from Jew Ranger, um Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger, which is a ninja Sentai, where a female is actually the leader of the team, and she actually has the most character development out of all the heroes in that particular show. But, um, but yeah, no, you're right. I feel like with May, it's a lot of it. Her acting does come from the fact that she doesn't have a lot of material to act with, and pretty much all of her like good character moments are pretty much in her filler episodes, which is sad. Some of her filler episodes are actually really good. But this goes back to what I'm saying before about how, like, no matter how corny something can be, if the actors can convince you that 
their about their character motivations and that this is their character. I feel like that above all really helps in the belief in the story. And for that, the actors accomplished that for me. And Band- I mean, I don't have to say anything about Bandora. Bandora, she is played by a veteran Toku actor, so she just is killing it every time she's on screen. Yeah, she, I mean, I, I don't just like her because she's a total hottie. I also like her acting a lot. And I mean, like, one of my favorite things about how she, you know, brings life to this character is she is constantly smiling, even when she's talking about, like, killing children or, like, I'm hungry. And, like, she's just got this huge-ass smile on her face. And, like, it feels like it's almost like this perma-smile. And you're like, Bentora, like, what's going on? Like, you're, you, I know you're not saying happy things right now. Um, but, you know, I thought that that was a fun addition to her character to really, you know, kind of, in my opinion, elevate the silliness. And that was, you know, probably a choice that they made uh, for, you know, reaching a younger audience. But I still find it so entertaining and like this nice little bit of comic relief, even as an adult. I'm sad that she hasn't had any more headaches, though, because I was, you know, I I thought that was so funny when she'd be like, I have a headache at the end of the episode. Uh, She did have a headache uh, at the end of the arc, though. Oh, my God. How did I miss that? She did have a headache at the end of the, I think in the last, either the last or the second to last episode of the arc. She had, she said she had a headache. Um, but yeah, no, but yeah, that that's what I mean. Like, the actors are definitely, like, putting all that they have into what they're doing, which is why I really, like, Drew Ranger as a show, because I can appreciate the performances of the actors, you know, doing the show. And this arc... I feel like I always say that this arc in particular either makes or breaks a person who is going to like True Ranger as a show. Because this arc has all the stops of what you're going to see later down the line of this show. And you're either going to like it or you're either going to not like it, depending on how you feel about it. And... I will. I mean, like I said, there are like there are like there's always gonna be things that I'm gonna look and be like, oh, that's really corny, but there's something about the performances of the actors and the lore of the show that just really keeps me from saying this is this is not a good show. Yeah, it's I I can definitely see uh, where you're coming from. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of um. Oh, you know what? There's one thing I did forget to ask, um, because we were talking about Dragon Caesar earlier. Um, what do you think of Goryujin, which is pretty much Dragon Caesar's like, like warrior mode? Okay, so it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie, though. When I saw him come together, I was really hoping that all of the Guardians would be a part of it. And I don't know if that's being saved for later, um, but, you know, I I was hoping it would just all all of them would come together. But, you know, when I thought about it a little bit afterwards, I was thinking, no, that's actually a really, you know, kind of 
like well thought out idea of like, well, don't put them all together, have, you know, a couple that are independent and that can set up for more strategic fighting in the future. I thought that he looked really cool, though. Um, I think it's probably just because Dragon Caesar is my favorite and Dragon Caesar has the coolest elements. So, yeah, seeing seeing him like mashed up with the other guardians, um, making like an even bigger version uh, Zaijujin. Uh, or that's what it looks like to me. Um, seems like pretty freaking sweet. Yeah. Oh, um, I will say right now, don't get too far ahead of yourself without giving away too much. There is, there is a a combination of all the guardian beasts together, but that's later. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I totally was like, I wonder if Rebecca Sugar, who created Steven Universe had any inspiration from you know power rangers and seeing like oh here are these like individual entities uh when they come together they create a bigger like multi-powered entity um and so just because i love steven universe and and children's cartoons uh that's kind of where my brain went uh, when I saw, you know, and they get their own names and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised whatsoever if that's the case. I feel like, I feel like, um, particularly with Steven Universe, there's a lot of inspiration from not from ideas like this of like, like robots or people combining together to form a greater being. But with Steven Universe, you know, it's more about, like, two literal pe- people combining to become a greater person, which is a good metaphor, especially for children, about how, like, somebody could turn you into a better person. But um, not, go- not going too far off onto a tangent, um, I will... Okay, so I'm going to ask the uh, this question right now too so now that we have Barai on the team I you're probably not going to have an answer for this I don't care uh, it's okay if you don't but since now we have Barai, now we have Barai on the team who is your favorite Jew Ranger well not gonna lie I was a little sad that Dan wasn't in you know he didn't have a bigger role because he was my favorite before um but you know I think I really liked the mini arc with Boy and seeing his how big his heart was, how sweet he was. Um, but I can definitely see Barai kind of moving up the ranks based on, you know, how they take his character in the future. Like, I, you know, like the kind of conflict, troubled past and, you know, getting back to his good self. Like, I really like that kind of starting arc. And I feel like I'm very curious to see how the team dynamic is, like what role he fills in in the team. And so right now, I'd say boy is number one. Um, Dan is probably number two. And Geki. And then May and Goshi are just kind of like at the bottom. Wait, then wait, 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 then where is, uh, wait, where's Brian that? Oh, I, I don't know yet. I feel like I've only seen the side of him that's filled with hatred and I don't, or like, that's the most that I've seen of him. And I think until I see him within, you know, 
the group of the Rangers interacting with the Rangers, seeing more of his personality. Like I, you know, if it goes the right way, I could see him moving up to the top. But if it doesn't go the right way, meh, maybe he goes to the middle or the bottom. Well, we'll definitely see once we go into the um, the next arc, which is what I like to call the uh, the Die Satan arc. Ooh. Which is yes, yes. In the next arc, we will be finally seeing this show's representation of Satan. <laughs> That is going to be very interesting. I find interpretations of Satan very fascinating because they're always a little bit different, a little bit the same. So we're going to get into that. Um, so um, we definitely we definitely talked a lot. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm missing real quick before we go into final thoughts. Um, Wait, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Now that Bry's here, who is your favorite ranger? I feel like that's unfair for me to say because <laughs> uh, I have seen the show before, but I will tell you this. Um, I will say this in terms of my favorite Ranger, if I had to base it purely on how I like a Ranger character, it would be Geki. Geki is just, okay. mind you, I'm not the biggest fan of the Red Hero in both Power Rangers or Super Sentai. I feel like the, the, the Red Ranger is always the most basic written character in any of these shows um, because they go for the Boy Scout kind of like Superman type personality a lot of the time. And while I don't hate Superman, I feel like Superman is at his weakest as a character when you write him like the typical as the, the typical American boy character instead of actually like digging into Superman's like backstory a bit more like they did in like Smallville, where they went into his teenage years and you actually got to like know him more as a person instead of as a symbol. So that's why I'm not the biggest fan of leader characters in most media but there's something about geki as a as a care as a leader that i really like because while he's he's not just a leader because they say he's the leader he feels like he's part of the team and that he's guiding the team to be stronger but then when you have this arc where he's suffering and he doesn't know what to do against his brother Bri, who's trying to kill them, it makes the team dynamic worse. So I like that they actually like do that a lot more with Geki. And Yuda, who, the Yuda, the guy who plays Geki, is just so good at betraying this character that I can't help but love the character that much. I I agree. Like Geki as a, his leader role as, you know, an actual person character. Like I, I'm like you, I'm not a huge fan of leaders in, in most media. They're kind of one note, but Geki seems like an actual person and that's, really refreshing and it makes me like him a lot too yeah so that answers your question although i'm not gonna lie if i had to pick a favorite all around character it's a it's actually a tie it's a tie between two characters it's a tie between bry 
and Bandora. Now, I the I can't go into why I love Bandora because it gives away so many spoilers. When they actually go into her backstory, it made me like her character a lot more. And and you know, I just plus I just love this whole dynamic with Bandora about she's a Satanist, but she's like but like I love how it's not a stereotype of like oh she's like dark and brooding or she's talks so like demonic. She's just a a little she's like a little girl in like a fifty year old's body. Yeah, she's pretty chaotic, huh? So that's what makes it her fun as a character. And Bri, for obvious reasons, I Bri, I feel besides Geki, I feel like and Bandora. Bri has probably the most character development out of all the characters for obvious reasons. And I just like the way they portray him as a character. And plus, there is this whole fun dynamic that we'll get into more later where, um, you know, there's this whole thing where he, he, he can't leave this room that he has to stay in or else he'll die. So now there's this dynamic where, like, every single time he leaves this room, he's an inch closer to death. And when they get into why that's a thing, that's what makes it more interesting. Um... And really digs more deeper into his whole, like, how his thirst for vengeance really backfired on him, which that's all I'm going to say about, like, why he has, like, less time to live, because I don't want to give away too much. Um, But yeah, it's really a fight between those three characters for who is my favorite. Um, So... We definitely talked for a long time, so I'm going to go into uh, final thoughts. Um, final thoughts for you. Um, from what we watched, from what we watched, from the Daijujin arc, the Dinosaur Egg arc, and the Barai arc, because um, we're not even halfway through the show, technically. We're like, we're about, we're entering the halfway point of the show, but I want to ask you, after everything you saw, and we're pretty much at the halfway point of at least the story stuff, what do you think of Ranger? I am really liking the story. Um, I feel like there's so many elements that I, that I like about it, and I think, you know, with you picking out these specific arcs, um, you know, I am getting the best of the series and i think with the best of the series you know these arcs seem like they're getting more and more intricate and there's so much space for it to to grow and so i am pretty excited to see what happens with these characters i'm really curious about what's going to happen with barai i mean i feel like the barai arc really is the one that kind of roped me in um to the point where i'm like but what's going to happen? But what's I, I need to know what's going to I'm probably going to think about it like all week, honestly. Um, that's how TV works for me. Yeah. For context, um, for the audience, um, we're recording this episode literally two days before I go on my honeymoon. Howie is actually going to be going away with her husband around the same time as well. So there might be a gap between episode releases. Um, so that's why we're going to get to it. Although I will, there's something I never, I should ask more often and I don't ask it enough. Is there something you don't like about Ranger? 
Um, I think I think the biggest thing is just May not having a personality, and I feel like Goshi could have a little more. But but yeah, just just like it seems like such a lost opportunity to add even more dynamic and more story slash character development. Um, and you know that could come later, but uh, you know I would have really liked to see her as more than just the Arrow girl. That's true. I've all, okay, that's I feel like a, that's a negative that happens in a lot of Super Sentai's. There are going to be characters that are literally not going to have a lot of character development whatsoever, and sometimes you have to get used to that. Power Rangers is the exact same way too. Um, so okay, um, I'm trying to think of. Oh, you know what? Since we are getting into the really deep story stuff, um, one other question I am going to ask is this. What are you most looking forward to for the next upcoming episodes? Barai's integration into the group. I mean, it's it's either that or the dinosaur eggs. Like, those are the two big things. Like, I really want to see Barai's development. And, like... I think that's going to be really cool to watch over time. But what the heck is going on with these dinosaur eggs? That's going to drive me crazy. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Don't worry. They're going to come back because I know how you feel. Because, like, they keep they keep getting thrown into the bloody ocean. Yeah, that's another thing. I was like, maybe they're just water dinosaurs and nobody knew. But, you know. Yeah, so I, I totally get what you mean. But don't worry, that's going to come uh, later. Um, I think I'm just going to... I'm going to um, put in my a little food for thought for everybody listening before we sign off for today and end this uh, class session is... Um, what do you think keeps people's suspension of disbelief alive when it comes to media in general, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, what do you think um, is your, so where, what keeps you from your suspension of disbelief from being broken? And has, was there any franchise that destroyed your suspension of disbelief and you couldn't get into it? So that's just some food for thought for next time. Um, I'm just saying that as a general question for our audience. Although I will ask, you know, you know, I'll ask you, I'll ask you, do you want to answer the question for yourself? Well, I might not be the best person to ask because even when my, you know, suspension of disbelief is broken, I will still watch things and just, you know, just like accept the fact that, you know, maybe the delivery of this wasn't great, but like the overall story, I'm curious about what happens next. I'm actually watching a show right now where that's the case. I'm like, I don't believe these people for one second, but this is an interesting story. I want to know what happens. Um, so it, I think it just depends on whether or not you're comfortable accepting the fact for what particular thing you're watching. Oh, that's a fair point. I mean, to answer my own question... um. There isn't a lot of stuff that broke my suspension of disbelief, except for a couple of things. And funny enough, going back to being a lore whore, it has a lot to do with how, whether or not the story that they're telling works with the allure that's already been established in the show. A great example 
without going too far into a tangent, is what happened to the recent Star Wars films. Now, when Disney acquired Star Wars, um, they changed a lot of what was canon and what isn't canon. And that did suspend my suspension of disbelief when it came to the movies coming out later, like episodes 7, 8, and 9, because there were some things where I was just like, this doesn't make any sense considering what happened in other Star Wars stuff. Like, like Luke, Han, and Leia never show up together in Episode 7, which bothers me to this day. And I feel like that wouldn't happen. I feel like they would see each other and that Luke wouldn't literally cut himself off from everybody. Uh, I think he would have at least had given his location to Leia because he's her sister and she's also a, at this point a force user so I feel like that doesn't make any sense and because like, of stuff like that and there's also stuff like stuff that happened in like Doctor Who where if I go into that that's gonna be a whole podcast because Doctor Who, yeah. Doctor Who lore is so convoluted and complicated that I'm not even going to get into that. But there is stuff in when Doctor Who came back in 2005 that they did, um, that they did where there were some things that just didn't make sense in terms of what was already established in the classic Who uh, series from the 60s onto the 80s where I was like, that doesn't make any sense, or that just doesn't feel like something that this character would do, or something like that. That's the only time my suspension of disbelief um, gets shattered, is when what was already established in the lore gets reworked in a way where it doesn't feel like it makes any sense. So that's what the only thing that destroys my suspension of disbelief well with that being said and this being a very long episode this is probably going to be one of our longer episodes in terms of just talking about a specific arc because once we get into shows where we're talking about an entire series that's those are going to be much longer so for next time For episode four, when that comes out, because again, there might be a release gap, because we're both going on vacation, um, we are going to get into the American version of the Bri arc, which is known in the Mighty Morphin uh, fandom as the Green with Evil arc. That's what it's that's what it's called in the American version and we will get into that on the next episode of the podcast. So see you next time guys and for now class is dismissed. See you next time. See ya.